The second reading this morning is 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. I'm starting at verse 16. So 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, starting at verse 16. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare boast about. And that is the word of the Lord for this morning. We're going to deal with a kind of question which kind of seems weird, but is there such a thing as a humble boasting? Well, there used to be a saying when I was in the yachting game and sailing and yachts racing and all that, and we had a saying that said, we're humble in defeat, but arrogant in victory. It's good, wasn't it? This was a term that was widely used, and we really believed it at the time. But mind you, we actually also know now that it describes the world to a T. The world loves a winning feeling. They love a winner. Any politician worth his salt will travel halfway around the world or even further just to have a photo opportunity with a winner so that they look like winners as well. And they see humility indeed as a weakness that ought to be at all cost avoided. But let us see here what Paul's learnt from Jesus and has given us to read. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come to you and seeking your wisdom and understanding of how we should see the world and how we are trying to show the world what you are like. May we indeed learn from this passage what we can do and indeed what we need to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A theologian not many years ago stated the following, Humility is the most noble Christian virtue. It is the only appropriate response to an understanding of the person of God and a true sense of his majesty. Real humility brings out strengthens and it, our need to come before our Lord in worship and seek his wisdom and his plan for our lives. When any man or woman stands before the cross of Jesus Christ and comprehends the true reason, the real reason for him having to die such a cruel death, they will and must be humbled. Certainly if they acknowledge Jesus as God. Others, 
meaning those rec- not, not recognizing Jesus as the true Son of God, will have their hearts even more hardened by the sight of the cross, more arrogantly bl- 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 treating the whole situation uh, than they had maybe even previously. This may well also be one of the reasons why humility is such an unpopular thing in the world. Talkback shows, the TV programs, social networks on the internet does never ever promote humility. But when this happens, that person will indeed then be ridiculed by the rest. I remember many years ago a guy called Michael Chang, a tennis player, one year after having won, won the French Open at age 17. He stood there with his trophy in hand and he thanked Jesus for being his strength and guide and the commentators rubbished him for it. See, Paul was also like Michael Chang, was not ashamed of the gospel. And to reassure you of the biblical truth that humility is of great value to you, we can go to Micah. In 6.8 he says, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Paul writes, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. Well, the difference here between the super apostles, so to speak, and Paul is that they, those false teachers, they boast about what they have done and how great they are. Whereas Paul is boasting about all the great things Jesus has done in him. And that he was made an apostle by Jesus and not a position he had claimed for himself. Paul had accepted this role in ministry in response to the salvation of his soul and out of his humility, knowing who he is in light of Jesus Christ. False teachers have no such thing. The disinformation being spread about Paul was that he was so incredibly unimpressive, (coughs) so terribly ordinary, that he just couldn't possibly qualify as an apostle of the Lord Most High God. An extraordinary assessment of Paul, really, in light of what we also know of Jesus, the Lord Most High. From what Paul wrote about Jesus in Philippians 2.8, he wrote, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In human terms, that death was probably the most unimpressive way you could possibly die, for certainly for a man supposed to be God. And face it, false teachers didn't need a true God. They just needed any figurehead as long as they would be the leaders and they would be the recipients of their worship. There's the difference. Paul's understanding of the Philippian verse about Jesus humbling himself is likely also the basis for his very next statement in verse 17. He says, In this self-confident boasting I am not talking as a Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. 
Well, for absolutely certain, I can tell you, Jesus never boasted about anything. But Paul, Paul is bringing here to the front the fact that he is not Jesus and that he is using a worldly mannerism to get his message across to them. Some theologian have indeed, after read this, proposed the fact that this sentence in this chapter is not part of the inspired portion of this letter. It is not from God, they say. I just don't think that be the truth. Paul is reiterating strongly to them that he is not like Christ. And that is the very reason because of his humility. Any of us that brings the gospel to the world need to make the listeners understand we are only the messengers and we are not the originators of the word we are sharing with them. In everything that we do, we are to give glory to the Lord. And Peter did that. The Apostle Peter did that in Acts 3.6 at the temple. When he's asked for something by the beggar, he says, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He gives them the gift, but he gives them in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Peter. I give you what Jesus has freely given me, Peter tells people. And let me assure you this, if we start picking out little bits of the Bible that we consider not to be God's word, like some theologians have, for any reason, where then do we stop? At what point? I'll come with my bit and I'll take them out. And you take your little bits that you don't like out. And by the time we've gone through the whole church, there might not be much left to read. And John writes, the Apostle John writes in Revelation, I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. If anyone takes word away from this scroll or prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. We're not to add to nor take any word away from anything that we've been given in the Bible. If we have any humility from knowing Jesus Christ, then we will truly honor him with everything that we have received from him. Again, that is not what false teachers do. Paul then turns to the people in the church in Corinth, but also to all churches following in their footsteps, that is us. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. You and I have often been told, no doubt, that uh, it is utterly unkind to use sarcasm. And yet, here we have a man of God using sarcasm as a means of waking up the people in Corinth, and maybe even people today. The people in Corinth are not wise, considering their acceptance of foolishness from the impostors. Any wisdom they will ever be able to muster will come through the guiding only of the Holy Spirit. So he lashes, Paul lashes them with foolishness that they have displayed in their lives in verse 20. In fact, he says, 
You even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or even slaps you in the face. See, the term enslaved that Paul's using here is also used in Galatians. This matter arose because of some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks, it says in Galatians, to spy on the freedom we have in Jesus Christ and to make us slaves. Referring to Judaizers from Jerusalem, all these issues and problems are confined to the first century. Well, no, they're not. They continue to infiltrate the church through the entire past 20 centuries. And they're continuing. We have an extensive teaching of a prosperity doctrine proclaiming that the more you give the church, the more you will get. It's almost like you have gone into an investment bank. Which in fact means that if you have very little, then you are probably not going to get a lot in those churches. Which is not what Jesus taught us. In Luke 21, we all remember having read this over and over. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he says, this poor widow has put in more than all the others, all these people gave of their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This woman, this woman certainly had not invested. She had given out of her thankfulness for what she had already received. There was no investment. It was fully received. In your own interest and for your safety, you need to always consider everything that is preached to you as well. And always make sure it is what God had intended for you. See, we all share in that responsibility. You are to keep me accountable as I am keeping you accountable. And Paul, therefore, turns next to the issue of being genuine. In 21, he says, to my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. He's saying that in the stand, if the standards we are to strive for is that set down by the false teachers, then he, Paul, would be considered much too weak for that. He just wouldn't be able to do it. How? He would never have been able to enslave anyone. He would never be able to exploit or take advantage or push himself forward or indeed slap you in the face. Paul wants them and us to understand fully that this is actually what those false teachers have been doing to them and to our friends. They had, he had and been falling for their lies. No one with the heart of Jesus could possibly want to do such things. Indeed, on the contrary, the truth Paul is sharing with them is an act of love. And the truth will set them free of slavery, the slavery to sin. What anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, Paul says, I also dare to boast about. Well, the second part of verse 21 here is merely setting up what he is continuing in verse 22 and defending his apostleships in the church in Corinth. 
So when he then says, I'm speaking as a fool, he again is being sarcastic. And he wants to hold their attention. And what Paul dares to boast about, of course, we know that, he's boasting about Jesus. Why, is that, why does that consider daring to boast about Jesus? Well, it was dangerous then in those times, and it is even dangerous today. Paul will end up, for that fact, in a dungeon in Rome and will be killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for the truth. Today we're getting more likely to be ostracized by the world for our belief and faith in Christ Jesus. And in some countries, you are even highly likely to risk your life being a follower of the Christ. It is, after all, out of humility that we become courageous I give you, and I take this unmistakable trust that we have, that there's nothing they can do to us. If we are in Christ, in his hands, by him, called, then there's nothing that will separate us from the Lord. Nothing. And in Romans, Paul wrote that. And we need to read it again. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if we don't hold that dearly in our heart, that understanding, then humility is a wondrous thing, really. True humility will cause you to walk away from sin, for starters. Humility won't let you give in to covetousness. Humility won't let you stray from God's plan for marital closeness or the plan he has for your life. Humility will bring to the fore the grace and the mercy in your life. True humility is always the strongest in the presence of the Lord God and will cause us to submit our will to his. In fact, true humility cannot exist without God. Humility gives you the courage to ask the hard questions when you are told something new. Maybe even questions such as, where is that in the Bible? The letter to the Corinthian church is about their freedom and their salvation. The letter to the Galatian church also was about salvation. In chapter 5, Paul wrote, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The bondage was brought to Galatia by the Judaizers from Jerusalem, and here we have in Corinth, later on, we have the same thing happening with the false teachers that are coming. But is there such a thing, we started with, is there such a thing as a humble boasting? Well, there is, of course. If you fully comprehend the love, the mercy, and the grace poured out on you by Christ on the cross, then you will also, in all humility, just like Paul, boast about your Savior all day long. That boasting is not in pride or having been saved, as you have nothing to do with that part. So the difference is, if you find someone that is boasting about their children, 
they're taking part of the credit because we brought them up. So it has an element of pride when we boast about our children. But when we boast about Jesus Christ, there is nothing we have contributed to our salvation. So we have no credit to take. Your boasting is purely about the love Christ had for you when he hung on that cross in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. So the only thing we can take from this passage that Paul understood well is be humble and be boastful about he who saved you. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come to you. We do thank you continuously for the love that you put loving on us through your Son on the cross. May your Holy Spirit that you've lovingly placed in us guide us to this truth that it will sit strongly in our hearts and our minds. May we indeed live lives, Lord, where we are humble, but we are willing to boast about your Son, no matter the risk to ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name.